Hello once again, folks. Welcome to another edition of the CIAC Cast. Wanted to get uh, something for you in your your podcast feeds out before the Thanksgiving holiday. We certainly hope everyone has a wonderful and happy Thanksgiving filled with high school football and high school uh, athletics, along with many other things, certainly. But uh, wanted to, before we got into the Thanksgiving and then got into uh, the heat of CIAC football tournaments, wanted to take a quick look back at the CIAC championships of this past weekend. Uh, We will certainly, I think, do a little bit more all-encompassing kind of recap, broad-spectrum kind of look before uh, before the winter season really gets underway in a couple of weeks. But before we did that, we wanted to uh, to take a quick look back at the the championships from this past weekend. So we tried to get on the horn with somebody from just about every site uh, where we had championships, which was, uh, let's see, four soccer sites, a field hockey site, a volleyball site, and a swimming championship. We didn't quite get there, unfortunately. Had a hard time tracking folks down on this short... Uh, holiday week, but we are able to uh, to hit on a handful of the soccer championship games, the volleyball championships, and the swimming championships. So no, for, for those of you who are fans of some of those other sports, we uh, don't worry. We will try and do our best to, uh, to really get into those championships as well and kind of season recaps for some of those things a little bit later on here on the CIAC cast. But for right now, as I mentioned, a little bit of a short week, so we, we're, we're dealing up against the clock a little bit. Um, and uh, uh, with that, we're going to get right into it. So I'm not even going to do my quick introductions uh, for all of our people here. I uh, just want to tell you about a few things you can find, of course, on CIACsports.com. Always check out Tournament Central. That's where the football pairings will be released, hopefully Friday morning, assuming the uh, the weather does not cause too much of an issue over the next day or two here for games uh, wrapping up the regular season in high school football. We've also got uh, a championship highlight video from the 13 uh, championship games where the NFHS now Network was able to provide live streaming coverage. We've got uh, almost 20 minutes of highlights from uh, the fall championships for this past weekend. So if we didn't talk about your favorite sport or the game that you're interested in on this podcast, you can maybe check out that uh, on CICsports.com. So take a look at that. We've also got things. We launched officially uh, the Class Act School Sportsmanship Program. You can find that link at the top of the CICsports.com page. Take a look at that and you may uh, find something you like there and see which schools have signed up. Learn a little bit more about the program and for any schools that are uh, are listening to us here today, be sure to uh, to uh, to sign up and then also to uh, to share your your programs using the social media uh, tabs and information and hashtags. Be sure to share things as well. So those are just a few of the things you can find at CICsports.com. Of course, also a linked up from all of the fall championships. We've got stories from every fall championship thus far, and uh, obviously four more to come as uh, as the football championships will kick off next week. But all of that said, be sure to follow us on Twitter at CICsports, and I'm going to do quick mention, of course, our friends from the Department of uh, Transportation here in Connecticut. Look, holiday weekend, you know, a lot of people out on the road. Keep your phone in your pocket. Keep your phone in the center console where you can't look at it, where you can't touch it, you can't answer it. Please do not text and drive or drive distracted. Not worth it. Too many cars on the road this weekend. It's going to be unsafe. You really cannot... Uh, be playing around with your phone. So that's, of course, the message. One text or call could wreck it all, a message from our friends at the Connecticut Department of Transportation. That's all that said. So let's dive in. We're going to do some quick championship recaps here. I won't even... uh 
won't even interject in between uh, every interview here. We're just going to go all the way through, get a full big championship recap. We're going to talk uh, to some swimming, some volleyball, some boys and girls soccer, and uh, and we hope you enjoy it. We'll be back at the end of all the interviews to, uh, to wrap things up. But uh, check it out. Championship weekend recap here on the CIAC cast. On the phone now, Mark Jaffe of the Waterbury Republican American, a man who wears many hats. Uh, one of them is as a uh, a swimming uh, writer. He keeps good tabs on the uh, the swim championships and the swimming around the state of Connecticut. So he's going to uh, chat with us a little bit about the Open Championships this past weekend at Yale. Mark, thanks for being with us. It's always a pleasure. So we uh, we start things off uh, the swimming championships, the Open uh, after a week of uh, divisional titles. Um, so obviously the the big story, uh, the Open Championship, which was uh, once again won by Greenwich. So uh, what kind of stood out to you in terms of uh, of Greenwich's performance and sort of their continued uh, their continued run of success at at this meet? Well, the thing that's really interesting and it's unfortunate that the, there was a time when diving was part of the actual finals. And the swim finals, and it's now it's the the day before. Mm-hmm. The one thing that people may have overlooked is that Greenwich came in one, two, three, a clean sweep in the diving. Catherine Rosick, Annabelle Pollock, and Taylor Kirsch mm-hmm. came one, two, three, which means eighty-three points was added to the score. Yep. So when you have eighty-three points coming out of one event. It really puts everybody else in a uh, uh, catch-up mode, mm-hmm. and you can't catch up from 83 points with, with one event. There's no way. And they won by uh, the thing that's interesting. The second-place finisher, Richfield, came in 110 points behind. All right, so 83 of those 110 points is critical. Yeah, absolutely. What have uh, okay. What have you seen from Greenwich? Uh, you know, as well that sort of uh, you know really. Well, this is- yeah, this is another thing that's really important. Um, usually when Cheshire has Eddie Eston's teams over the years, when they were winning open titles, they were scoring points in every single swim event. Mm-hmm. And this is what happened against with the Cardinals. Kelly Montesi was the only other winner other than the diver that won an individual event. Right. But when you look at the different point totals for all the events, they came in second in the 400 freestyle relay, the last event of the day. Mm-hmm. They came in third in the 200 freestyle relay. And they came in fourth in the 200 medley relay that started the day on Saturday. So when you're getting point totals like that, it just adds to the to the uh, everybody playing catch-up. And when you look at the times and you look at the, what it does is when you start off the meet and you do really well in the medley relay, even though they didn't win it, it gives the other kids that haven't swam yet some motivation, and then that's exactly what happened. And you know, you go through all the way through the the the, the rest of the uh, events early in the meet, and you know the four or five events in, and Greenwich was obviously uh, in a real driver's seat. Now Richfield had a really good meet, mm-hmm. and so did Weston, who's the class S champion, but and Darien did, and as well as Cheshire. But the problem was that when I spoke to Dan Muscolo of Cheshire the day before, he says, you know something? We're all, all trying to figure out who's going to get second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, because that's the problem is that we know what Greenwich is going to be able to do. They just have so many swimmers, not just having a lot of depth, they have a lot of depth that's scoring points, and yep. that's a difference. 
Yep, absolutely, and uh, it has led to a, a pretty pretty impressive run of success for the uh, for the Cardinals. What else? Uh, what else jumped out at you from the meet? Obviously, we talked about well, Greenwich and their win, but yeah. some other performances, some other stories. Anything else well, that really caught your yes, eye? Yes, really caught my eye. Um, the the best event of the day, the 500 freestyle, which is the longest event. Um, it was really went down to the wire. I kept waiting for. Um, Cameron Geaton from Cheshire, if she got the lead mm. at any point, she was going to win it. The problem was is the girl that nudged her out all right, by, by a, a touch of the wall was Sarah Grinnells of Ludwell Fairfield. And uh, she came in second. Sarah came in second in the sprint, 50 sprint. And then she, she barely won in the 500 freestyle. It was clearly the best thing I've seen in a long time, especially from that type of distance, yeah. where the girls were going back and forth, and, and I remember, and the thing about it, interesting about Cameron Geatons, her grandfather is Jack Geatons, the former high school hockey coach of Brian Leach of Cheshire back in the, in the 80s. So, it, you know, she, it was really an amazing day for those two girls, and, yeah. and uh, they both had really, they had success on the, in the class meets. And, uh, you know, that was really the thing. And another thing with Cheshire, they only have five seniors, and uh, Geatons is one of them. Uh, so they're going to be the, one of the, the, the top teams next year, clearly. And Liz Boyer, who was a state open champion in the breaststroke as a freshman two years ago, mm-hmm. she, she had a really good, great meet, and she came in second place in the fly. Uh, and Montessi, the girl from Greenwich, was the one that, just nudged her out. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of potential. Uh, Grinnells from Ludlow is going to be back next year as a junior. Uh, she'll be a senior next year, and obviously Boyer will be there. Um, and there's a lot of up-and-coming teams. And the one thing that I've always enjoyed about the swimming uh, level, whether it's the boys or the girls, mm-hmm. the consistency and the coaching level is f- phenomenal. It's really paramount. And, you know, the kids all know each other from state uh, national meets and other uh, meets. You know, in, in other sports, it's called AAU. And in other sports, it's uh, the traveling things. Right. In swimming circles, there's a, so much respect among other swimmers. And they know each other even though they come from different parts of the state. And so when they get to a place like Yale, it's a real uh, celebration. And uh, there's a lot of respect in the water and a lot of respect on the pool decks. And a lot of it is coming from the uh, trickles on down from the coaching yeah, uh, no, level. Yeah, no question. It's definitely, uh, as much as any sport that you, uh, that you follow, it's a real community kind of around the, you know, and as you said, there's a lot of tradition among the coaches, but, uh, yeah, a real community uh, among the, uh, the schools and the athletes uh, as well. Anything else that really caught your attention, Mark, uh, in terms of performances? Uh, anything that, uh, anything at well, all that the, sort of uh, yeah, jumped out at you? Yeah, I think the biggest thing about it is anytime you have a swim meet and you have a timing system, and I've been to enough of these over the years, is that you hope there's no problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no delays. There's no nothing like that. And everything seemed to go pretty smoothly, whether it was Tuesday, Wednesday, and Saturday. And, um, you know, a lot of it is, you know, the people that are running these events, a lot of it is just that everybody seems to be on the same page when they have those coaches' meetings before the meets. And uh, you know that's a that's a big clear. The thing that, I, that that's still kind of troubling to me is that um, when you have the three different venues, Wesleyan um, and, and Yale, and then Southern, some meets are at. Um, there's such a difference in in, in pool uh, atmosphere, 
and the kids don't really get a lot of time to, if they're not familiar with the places. Like, I had one girl from Holy Cross tell me she had never swam at Yale before, before her warm-up on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's an issue that, you know, is really hard to address because they can't get practice time. Yeah. But I think the one thing about it, she was she did pretty good. You know, <laughs> right. uh, Madeline uh, Mowat, she came at 60, was not expected to, to maybe come in the top six, and she did. She got the last spot in, in, in her event in the 200 IM, and uh, it was a great day. She's a junior, so she's going to be fired up going into her senior year next year. But, uh, you know, those are the things that kind of stand out and, and certainly uh, – you know, having a venue like Yale with that the rafters of seating, uh, that, that's a big deal for anybody that was there. Yeah, no question. So we certainly love uh, love being at Yale every year and uh, and and love bringing the the championship there. So Mark, we uh, we appreciate it. We're going to uh, be on the phone with a lot of folks today, but always want to get in touch with you and uh, and get your perspective on the swim championship. So thanks very thanks much, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you uh, down the road as uh, as football starts uh, really heating up in tournament time. Have a great holiday. Take care. With us now on the CIAC cast is Mike Madera. He was on hand at West Haven High School for the Class S uh, boys and girls finals, both taking place at uh, at West Haven. Mike, thanks for being with us. Uh, no problem, Joel. Anytime. So we uh, we wanted to touch base on on all of the championship action that took place over the weekend. So we'll start uh, in West Haven and start with the the Class S uh, girls final. Two teams that uh, that know each other well, and in this case, it was uh, Old Lime coming out with a one nothing victory over Old Saybrook. Mike, what kind of jumped out at you from uh, from that Class S girls final? Well, I, I I think from that game, it was the play. You know, Old Lime came in, and you were expecting Maya Johnson. And and her, her her mate on the on the side, Jenna Paduzzi, to come up with the big scoring. And Old Saber did a nice job on them. But I, what what really stood out was was the play of the defensive old line. Old line really anchored back there. And Callie O'Neill, not only did she play a solid game defensively, but she scored the lone goal off a direct kick. And I tell you, a nice bending shot that went underneath the crossbar off the post and in. And you know what? This old line team was very disciplined. I, if I remember correctly, only allowed one goal in this whole state tournament, and that was in the second round to summer. So they did a nice job following up Old Saybrook, and Old Saybrook came in with the reputation in this tournament. They had nine goals coming in mm-hmm. in the tournament and really got nothing going. They, I, I believe one shot on goal and then the whole game. Really, yeah. So strong defensive effort uh, earned earned Old Lime the uh, the the championship. What about in the uh, the Class S boys? As uh, as uh, in that contest, um, you saw the the matchup between Coventry and Old Saybrook. What uh, what was sort of the story in that one from your perspective? Well, again, it was defense. I mean, when you look at this this Coventry team, I mean, they come in as the third seed and. They didn't allow one goal the entire tournament, and they had ten goal, ten shutouts in the regular season. And with the shutout here in the final, that was that was the fifth one in the postseason. So fifteen shutouts on the year. And I mean the defensive play, they they, they really did a number on this old old Saybrook team. Old Saybrook never really got anything going, and and anything they did get going was from the outside. From Coventry, it was Steve Voros and Mason Danielson. They really did a solid job back there. And then the outside backs of Nick Erskine and Erica Mende, they were they were solid as well. I mean, and, and for Old Civic, never could could get anything going. And then when Coventry got those two goals in the first half, and and the, the one by Jared Cote, it seemed like once he scored, mm-hmm. you know, they were able to get back into their defensive-minded game that they like to play. And then when Zach Stoddard scored with a about 23 minutes to go in that first half. I mean, you could almost put Coventry in, in the books as winning the championship. 
Yeah, no. Again, really lockdown defensive performance, as you said. Any uh, any particular players from from either match, either the girls or the boys match, that really kind of stood out to you as uh, as having particularly strong matches? Uh, you know, obviously you've mentioned a few already, but uh, any anyone that really jumped off jumped off the field for you? Yeah, you know, I, I think for old line when you talk about the girls, we can start there. Um, the sophomore Maya Johnson. I mean, she was everywhere. Everywhere that there was a play being made, she was in the middle of it. And, you know, Jennifer Doozy, she didn't really um, have much going offensively in the first half. But in that second half, boy, I'll tell you, she really picked it up. And when when Johnson and Paduzzi were going, I, I, you could see that offense was clicking. And Old Saybrook really didn't have an answer for them. And now, listen, they, they didn't win by much, but those two really, really – um, clicked and really created a lot of opportunities, and, and they by far were two best players on the field that day, mm-hmm. along with uh, Callie O'Neill. And for the boys, you know, in that boys game, one one particular play, you know, you look at at the, the the win and you say, well, he didn't score, he didn't. But Mike Sith, he, he's a junior on Coventry, he was all over the field, and he was creating plays throughout the contest. Um, in, in in the first two goals, he got the assist on the Cote goal. But it was his play throughout the game. I mean, he just seems to be everywhere on the call. Everywhere you look or every time that he was there's a loose ball or a battle, he was the guy that won him. So, yeah, he really stood out the junior for Coventry. So two uh, two championships, two great games, uh, the old Lyme girls and the Coventry boys coming away with titles. And uh, Mike Madera, we greatly appreciate you uh, getting on the horn with us. Just a few, uh, feels like just a little bit after the game's uh, wrapped up. And uh, we appreciate it. And uh, we'll check in, in with you again soon, I'm sure. All right. Thanks, Phil. Anytime. Very happy to have with us on the uh, the podcast, and we we managed to get both of them on the phone at once, which we're very excited about. The gentleman who called the uh, did the color commentary for the CIAC volleyball championships this past weekend, Pat Ryan and Alex Niffin. Pat and, uh, and Alex, thanks so much for being with us. Pleasure to be here. It certainly is. All right, so we want to uh, to to take a few minutes here to kind of break down what we saw and uh, and what jumped out at you from the uh, from the volleyball championships this past weekend. And I know each of you called uh, called two of those matches, so we'll kind of bounce around a little bit and uh, and then maybe get to some kind of bigger picture stuff. But uh, let's start out with the first match of the day. Uh, and and Pat, I believe you were on the call for Seymour versus Torrington in the Class M final. What were sort of your big impressions or your biggest takeaways uh, from that Class M championship? that Seymour was able to win? Well, I think if there was an update for the day, or update, upset for the day, it was probably this match, because Torrington had beaten Seymour uh, twice during the season so far. Uh, I think, for the most part, uh, Faith Thurmond at Seymour took over the match. She was the match MVP on it and was really unstoppable, even early in the match. Mm -hmm. uh, She was surpassing her normal kill stats, and every time any ball was sort of even in question in the middle of a rally, she would just go up and hit it, even over when her setter was getting ready to set it or some defender was coming in. If it was anywhere near the net, she was just taking a hard swing at it and, and getting a kill basically right away. Right. Did you see, uh, you know, was that was was that really the difference from your perspective in terms of, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Torrington had, had defeated Seymour twice during the regular season. What, you know, did you see anything that really uh, was different this time around or, or what might have uh, been the difference in, in swinging the match uh, to Seymour this time? Well, it was a 3 nothing match, but really it was, it was still closer than it sounded. The first two games, Seymour had won 25-23, 25-23. Um, I, having talked to other coaches who had played against uh, Torrington, they were surprised at really the result themselves because Torrington didn't seem to be in their game. And I think as the match got, 
close, you know, Faith Thurman, Torrington had no solution for her. Yeah. And so when it came down to it, you know, she was able to get key kills at key points, and uh, Torrington was really trying to get their points when uh, Faith Thurman was in the back row and not able to take those same swings at the ball. Yeah, and when a uh, you in a tight match like that, it can just be a, a couple of points here and there that make the difference. Alex, we'll uh, we'll we'll toss it over to you. Maybe a game with with some of the biggest runs and kind of wildest swings back and forth that you'll see the double L final between uh, Stamford and Ridgefield, two teams that uh, are very familiar with each other as well. What sort of uh, stood out to you from that class double L championship that Stamford was able to win? Well, it was it was kind of a clash of uh, of styles. Uh, I thought I thought um, Richfield looked a bit more of sort of a, a modern team in terms of the style of play, their distribution of of setting and offense, uh, and even their defensive structure. Stanford was much more sort of in in the old school. I thought um, you know they they were. You know, I guess Smash Mouth Volleyball, if that was actually a phrase, <laughs> sure. would be a good describer of them. Everybody knew what they were going to do. Uh, they made no qualms about it. They didn't try to hide it. They didn't try to, to, to trick you into thinking it was going to be something different. Um, you know, as far as Stanford was concerned, you know, O'Connor was going to get set, and she was going to get kills. And it was incumbent upon Ridgefield to change that recipe. And, uh, you know, Andrea O'Connor is a... a, a phenomenal athlete. Uh, she had a, 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 a pretty big height advantage over everyone at the net for Ridgefield, and she just kind of had her way. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what about uh, the, the Class L championship? Wrapped up the night, Alex, with, uh, with Ram and Farmington, two teams that have played uh, several championship contests over the past few years. Uh, what stood out to you as the difference for, uh, for Ram coming away with the 3-1 win over Farmington? Well, Ram, Ram coming away with the win was, I thought, a mixture of a couple of different things that maybe maybe Farmington could have tried differently. I don't know that any of them necessarily would have, would have led to success, but it would have been interesting to try. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the problems that dogged Farmington that, you know, I'm sure they would have fixed if they could have, was it, they just randomly had a shanked service eve. Um, and when you're in a tight match, mm-hmm. like that match was, uh, you know, back and forth, real close, several lean changes every set, you just can't afford to give away two or three points periodically throughout the set. Right. And uh, the, the serve receive, it was no one in particular. It was just kind of everyone just sort of losing focus for that one split second right when they needed it. Um, what, what I thought Farmington could have tried to do to sort of change, change the dynamic of the game a little bit was to try to double block Haruska. Uh, they, they went one-on-one against her all night. Um, and... It was uh, it was a big task. I mean, Hurska is a, is a very very strong player, yep. uh, and uh, you know, giving her that much court to work with, I think, was more than than Farmington could handle. What about uh, Pat? What back to you? What about uh, the the last match of the day, or, or the only one we haven't spoken about, the Class S final? Uh, Lyman Memorial has been uh, oh so close the past few years, and finally broke through with a three nothing uh, victory over Hale Ray. What was sort of the the key or the difference in that match from your perspective? Yeah, I've called a couple of the Lyman losses up to this point, and this one they were in control pretty much the whole way. They were a very well-rounded team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a couple of really good hitters. You know, the eventual M- MVP, Andy Bender, uh, hits the ball a pretty good height over the top of the net, you know, so they weren't really close to her getting blocked very often. Uh, Hale Ray 
has a big block and they have some solid players. You know, the setter, Mary Pease, is, you know, pretty tall for a setter. And then they have Sage Connors. And so when they were up there double blocking, they were able to uh, uh, shut the Lyman Memorial uh, attack down. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think really when, when Sage Connors from Hale Ray was in the back row and they set her a lot back there, uh, Lyman did a great job of digging up a lot of those balls and then getting a counterattack on it to win the rally. And even in that match, there were so many long rallies during the course of it yeah. um, that were the first two sets were, were always ending in, Ly- uh, um, in Lyman's favor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that mentally has got to be taxing, although uh, the Hale Ray girls never gave up. I mean, they, they were in the third set, although that was the one that they, they lost by a couple points more than the first two. There were a lot of long rallies with kids, you know, diving into the bleachers and balls coming up. There was one in, couple of plays in particular through the course of the day with, you know, some premature celebration. Yeah. And then the ball still comes back over. And then, you know, the team that thought they had won the rally was in a scramble. And really, that's a testament just to where volleyball is now, where, you know, these kids are, are fighting for every single contact, every single point trying to win. No question. It really was. As I mentioned to both gentlemen, I've been working on some highlights from the and, and trying to cut some of those uh, long rallies down, uh, you know, underneath the, the minute or two that they seem to go on was uh, was quite a challenge on occasion. I'll uh, I'll send open this one up to both of you. Uh, Pat, you mentioned that maybe the big, you know, the if, if there was a, a quote-unquote upset from the weekend, maybe it was Seymour, uh, you know, beating Torrington after they had uh, had defeated them twice over the over the course of the season. But I'm curious just if in terms of either, you know, match results or the way the match is played out in terms of your preparation, if there were any other sort of big surprises or, or just surprises in the ways that the matches unfolded, uh, you know, as, as a coast over the over the day. Did was did anything jump out at either of you as as kind of surprising in, in maybe the way a team played or or if they won how they won, anything like that that uh, that struck you as surprising? I think for me, you know, in the, in the two games I called, the, really the big thing that I was really pleasantly surprised at is how good the teams are getting and how well-rounded they are. Mm-hmm. So I've, you know, been coaching high school sports in Connecticut since the mid-'90s, uh, volleyball. And really, in the old days, you know, and I'll even go back 10 years, you know, a team would typically have you know, one or two pretty good athletes, and then they'd have some severe deficiencies, you know, weak spots on the court. And that's not really the case now. And, you know, in the last two, three, four years, I just feel that the average level of play and the worst player maybe that a, a coach puts on the court is a lot better than, than five or ten years ago. Yeah, I would, I would certainly agree with that. Um, I would say one of the things that struck me was, was, was in that similar vein how um, some of the some of the tactics, some of the some of the uh, uh, you know defensive strategies, offensive strategies that are being run um, are maybe a little antiquated for the quality of player that's out there. So, and what I mean by that is, you know, 10, 10 15 years ago, the best hitter on a team, if you're a very de- defensive oriented team, the best hitter on your opponent on your opponent's team may be good enough that mm-hmm. you don't really need too big of a block. Right. You can rely on a single blocker, five girls trying to digging, you know, trying to dig her up, and that would probably be sufficient. We've we've gotten to the point now where we have phenomenal athletes out there. Yep. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're faster, they hit harder, and I think for a lot of teams, it's it's maybe time to start thinking about the next level of of strategy. You know, how do you maximize your uh, athletes' abilities. 
Um, how do you open up maybe defensively to let your libero take more court, have a read responsibility rather than, than just a positional responsibility? And then, you know, at, uh, in the front court, there are some players that can't be single blocked. Right. Just flat out, um, that's, no longer, that's no longer a viable uh, defensive strategy. It, it might get you to the semifinals or the finals if you have a really, really talented team. But if you want to win it all now, I think you need to be preparing your team for the possibility that they're going to play against athletes who are simply overpowering unless you double or, tr- or even triple team them. Right. Interesting. So yeah, I can't uh, argue with that at all. I think the girls are, are competing at a higher level even outside of the season. Club volleyball has you know, exploded in Connecticut. So, I mean, a lot of teams have girls that are playing in, you know, not just in Connecticut now, which is, you know, again, 15 or 20 years ago, you know, everything was super local. But now they're playing in, you know, tournaments with two or 300 teams in, you know, Boston. Hartford even hosts one now. But, you know, Washington, D.C., they play in a, a, a tournament that has 1,000 players. And, you know, a lot of these girls are going to play at the U.S. Junior National Championships. And, you know, I think it, it's getting ready to be time where, you know, you could turn a couple of them, you know, loose and uh, and probably find a slightly more effective, you know, offense or defense on it. You know, because the girls are used to doing it. They're used to playing it now. Right. And they may be a little constrained in high school. And I think if coaches start to develop that confidence and, and ask more of their players, they'd be surprised at how well they'll respond. Interesting. Well, we'll certainly uh, look to keep uh, keep tracking that as, as we move forward. Uh, you talked about some of those phenomenal athletes, and just curious for, uh, and I know we've, we've heard some of the names perhaps already, but uh, Pat, we'll start with you and just say maybe, you know, a, a player or two, and it could be from either team, you know, either the, the team that came up with the championship or the runner-up that really, uh, you know, really popped off the court for you uh, over the championship weekend that really had an impressive uh, performance. Who were some of the, the players that really stood out to you uh, in the matches that you called? Well, certainly in the Hale Ray Lyman match, uh, Andy Bender was excellent. She was the MVP and Sage Connors on the um, Hale Ray side, who was, uh, you know, the, the runner up there, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, for Seymour, uh, I mean, it was easily Faith Thurman, you know, uh, and again, you know, she had her alternate and I'm losing her, her name right at the moment. I'm sorry, but um, who got a good number of attempts also. Yeah. Um, and on the Torrington side, you know, one thing that um, they, that that I enjoyed watching for them is they had a very uh, well balanced offense. You know, right. so they were able to to move the ball around a lot. Um, but I think really when it came down to it, um, Carissa Carbone on Torrington had been their kill leader, and they were they weren't able to get her. I think as many swings on the ball as they normally get. You know, because again, looking at the stats going into the game. She was their kill leader on the season, but she did not get nearly the number of swings. And I think, you know, a lot of that was Seymour uh, ending some rallies early before they could get balls to her in transition. Gotcha. Alex, what about you? Uh, players that really stood out to you with, uh, with their performances over the weekend? Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, uh, stepping outside of the usual suspects who I thought um, all played very, very well. I, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from – from sort of the, the stars of each of the team, because in the, in the two matches I, uh, I called, I thought the stars definitely shone. They did not shrink mm-hmm. in their championship matches. But there were some surprise, uh, maybe not surprise is the right word, but there were some other players who I think really stepped their game up as well and uh, deserve mentioning. 
Um, in the uh, Ridgefield-Stanford game, I was uh, really impressed with Colonel uh, from Ridgefield. I thought she played a really, really uh, uh, good game. Uh, and, and Claire Dardis, the libero for Stanford, I thought played uh, uh, exceptionally well. Her passing, uh, you know, especially when you want to set the middle as often as Stanford did, mm-hmm. they needed to have a great passer sort of starting those possessions off, and, and Claire did that. Um, in the Farmington game, probably the most uh, uh, creative player on the team, on either team, uh, was uh, uh, Mary Schoner, the uh, outside for uh, Farmington. She has some shots in her in her toolbox that are just insane. Uh, you know, the look away, wrist away, uh, you know, position four to position four cut shot. Mm-hmm. Um, she could hit down the line. She could. She needs to be creative, obviously, when she's in such a height mismatch as someone like Horiska or uh, even Barry blocking her. She needs, you know, she's giving up several inches of, of height. So she played, I thought, what was a, a, an exceptional match and, and very, very creative with what she did. Uh, and on the other side, um, unheralded perhaps, but, but Shay's contribution, especially blocking on the right side and helping to shut down Caroline Cullen and uh, Schoner, uh, who uh, both got kills but were um, slowed enough, I think, to give Ram the edge. Uh, I thought I thought that was uh, a pretty big contribution that maybe didn't quite get the level of notice that it warranted. Absolutely, no, really, uh, and some great uh, great analysis from these gentlemen, and uh, and I really encourage uh, any fans of uh, of high school volleyball who weren't able to check out the live broadcast go. Uh, Go to the NFHSnetwork.com and, and look up the uh, the on-demand video. Great insight from Alex and Pat all weekend. They did an outstanding job uh, providing all kinds of interesting uh, interesting insight uh, through the course of the match. So, gentlemen, uh, I greatly appreciate you uh, getting back in touch with us, and uh, we'll look forward to, uh, to maybe hearing from both of you once we get into the Boys Volleyball Championship uh, in the spring. Thanks so much for being with us. Super. Thank you. My pleasure. On the line now with Joe Morelli, who I had the pleasure of sharing a press box with a few times on Saturday, and he's going to help us uh, break down a few of these soccer championship games. Joe, thanks for joining me. How's that video go, Joe? Joe, did it go good on uh, Saturday? I haven't checked out my, my footage yet. I, I think the uh, the fans are going to be excited to see what I was able to uh, to put together, or I just missed the goal as I always do. Which uh, As long as you're not shooting the ground like me, Joe, you'll be just fine. No, I, I think I managed to do that. I was aimed at the field most of the time, but uh, well, what good. I was able that's to a, capture... That's a good, that's, that's a good start. <laughs> so, uh, Mr. Morelli was at uh, Middletown High School to start his day to watch the Class L final between uh, mm-hmm. Joel Barlow and Daniel Hand. So give me your kind of uh, big takeaways, big impressions uh, from that Class L championship game, Joe. Well, first of all, on the overall weather basis, as we sit here today on a Monday, about 30 degrees colder, it feels like you couldn't get a more beautiful day Yeah, for a state final. I mean, uh, it was a beautiful day. Um, For Hand, it was actually, it was a battle. And as I expected, I mean, Barlow's pretty defensive-minded team. They were a 13 seed. They didn't even make their league tournament, um, but they play hand very well. The last two times they played each other in the state tournament, um, Barlow won three nothing both times, and in 2012, hand beat them three nothing. So they're very familiar opponents, mm-hmm. uh, almost like rivals per se. But I think no one dominated the play. And it really was not a surprise it went to overtime. It was going to take one mistake for it 
be determined whether who would win or be co-champions. And Barlow made the mistake. He can't capitalize on a header uh, off a corner kick, and uh, they're your state champions. Absolutely. Uh, what, what were your sort of, you know, this is obviously uh, uh, Daniel Hand is a, is a team that you're familiar with, is in your coverage right. area that you kind of have tabs on all year. Was this was this a team that you maybe pegged as a, as a state championship contender, or was this a bit of a surprise? What's sort of your, your kind of perspective on that Daniel Hand team that was able to come away with the win in double overtime? Well, it's interesting, interesting you asked that, Joel, because uh, my preseason story on the boys was on hand. They have been a great regular season team. In fact, um, from 2013 until this year, they were unbeaten in the regular season for over 40 games. Mm-hmm. And then Hamden finally beat them. So they've been a great regular season team, yet they've always could not get past the semifinals. I mean, they hadn't been to a state final since 1999. Mm-hmm. They hadn't won a state championship since 1997. This is, Madison is a team that has a good the town has a good feeder program. It's known for soccer. So for them to have not advanced to the final has been kind of a disappointment, I would imagine, in that town. I mean and then obviously to have played Guilford, their biggest rival. Right. And Max one of the state's biggest rivalries that we've talked about before, to to get a chance to advance to a final by beating your rival, who had beaten you in the SEC tournament in penalty kicks, is is was a big step for them, and and obviously, I think it means a lot to this town to have a state championship because you know there's a lot of pressure for them to win, and when you keep losing in the semifinals, like last year they lose to Avon when they dominate, they lose in penalty kicks. It's, right. it's very difficult thing because they feel like they belong. Uh, Stan Lakowski, the head coach, has told me in the preseason he felt once this team got to a final, he thinks future teams will be able to get some more finals out of the pressures off. Mm-hmm. And with six of their stars from Saturday's game returning, I think that's a good possibility. Any uh, any particular players uh, on either side that really jumped out at you uh, from the championship game that you thought had particularly uh, impressive performances on Saturday? I tell you what, Barlow was having their way in the first half, and I thought John Goltzschek, uh, they were senior, one of the senior defenders, a co-captain who started almost every game, if not every game, for hand since he was a freshman, I had a particularly good game keeping Barlow from from scoring, mm-hmm. from getting getting off shot opportunities. Um, and obviously, I think Liam Akers getting up above everybody else for that header uh, was tremendous. And Matt Parker didn't have to make too many saves in goal, but he was able to intercept a lot of crosses and prevent ball from having more opportunities than they did. So, yeah. But they're a very balanced, balanced club, Joel, and, uh, and they have a lot of talent, and they'll have a lot of talent back. So they're going to be there, and Barlow is going to be there. So don't be surprised if you see Barlow hand at some point in the L tournament next year. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll get you. Uh, we're going to have another gentleman uh, join us, hopefully, on the podcast to talk about uh, the the action at New Britain. But I know you uh, you hit the road shortly after uh, after leaving Middletown and and got to New Britain to catch the at least the second half of the Double L Boys Final. <laughs> Just your quick impressions from uh, from Farmington Shelton in the uh, the Boys Double L contest. Well, as you, as people know, I wasn't aware aware how close they were. I mean, never actually done the actual trip. Uh, once I got in the car after all the ceremonies and the CIC, you know, medals and everything, um, when I got in my car, it was still nil-nil. When I got to Willowbrook, Farmington led to nothing. Mm-hmm. And Farmington uh, is going to be your number one team in the final polls. 
uh, they only allowed three goals all season. And once Shelton got behind, I just, it's a really an uphill battle. I mean, they only had two shots, and they only tested the keeper once. And Shelton was a really good team. I mean, they won at Greenwich yep. in the quarterfinals. No one else beat Greenwich this year. And so that was and that's your SEC tournament champion, Shelton, two, two, time, two years in a row. So that was a very good Shelton side. But Pharmacy is the best team in the state, even better than Ham. So um, they have a nice team. And, uh, and deserving of what their ranking is. Yeah, no, it really, uh, I, I caught about just about the same amount of the game, I think, that Joe did, and uh, it, it did look uh, an impressive Farmington performance. So, Mr. Morelli, as always, it, uh, it was a pleasure to see you on Saturday, and it was a pleasure mm-hmm. to, uh, to catch up with you very quickly here to, uh, to help us break down some of the championships, and I'm sure we will be checking back in with you again during basketball season. Yeah, it's not too far away, Joel. It's not. Thanks, Joe. All right, take care. We had soccer championships, lots of soccer championships, and uh, that means we certainly have to reach out to our, our go-to uh, CIAC soccer man, Matt Conyers, from the Hartford Current. Matt, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure being on with you guys. We love talking a, a little soccer, and uh, we're, we're certainly going to at some point uh, later in the in the fall, winter here, go big picture soccer with with Matt and let him kind of break things down. But for this one, we just want to kind of recap and break down the, the championship matches themselves. And Matt was stationed at Willowbrook Park in New Britain for the uh, both the Class Double L Boys and Girls Finals. So let's start with the girls. Obviously, the big story. Glastonbury with a third straight uh, Class Double L championship game. Matt, what kind of jumped out at you, stood out to you from that game against Ridgefield? Yeah, I think the big takeaway from the Glastonbury-Ridgefield game is here's an opponent Glastonbury's faced already in the championship game a year ago. Ridgefield gave them their best game. So Ridgefield came into this game, came really into the season thinking, hey, we want to play with Glastonbury. We know we're a good team. We know we're one of the few teams that actually can play with them and really give them a game. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of a lot of pressure on this game uh, for both Ridgefield and Glastonbury. That Ridgefield came in so focused, and it really showed uh, for most of that first half at Willowbrook. Uh, Ridgefield had the better of the play. They were getting better quality chances. They were really putting some pressure on Glastonbury that they hadn't felt. So for me, the biggest takeaway is that Glastonbury was put in a spot they haven't been put in all year, at least for a long, sustained time. Not just the first half, but also in the second half. There was a stretch in the second half where we saw their defense really get worked, really get tested on the goal front. And Abernau, who's going to Maris, who joked all year that she hasn't had to do much for these shutouts for for this Glastonbury team, she showed why she's really the best goal in the state. She doesn't get to make that many saves, Mm -hmm. but then in a big moment, when the moment was as big as it got all year, she was ready. She made one tremendous save to a right, uh, diving to a right, full extended extension in the air. It was going in. It was two to one at the time. Probably about you know fifteen minutes. I, I can't remember the time exactly, but it was late. Two to one. It was a big momentum uh, shot. It could have tied the score, put them uh, in a position that not, nobody had really been in against Glastonbury and Colin early in the year. How do they handle it? Taking this close game, I know it's 4-1 in the final, but it really wasn't a 4-1 game. They scored a goal late. They scored a goal with 4.30 left. This is a 2-1 game. They were pushed to the max by Ridgefield, who did everything. They were well-prepared. We're easily the second-best team in the state this year. I know St. Joe's is a little bit of argument, but Glastonbury played, got, got a game from, from Ridgefield, got tested. You can't praise Ridgefield enough, and Glastonbury responded. They took with that punch in that first half. They got a goal late. 
they took the punch and they responded, and that, that was a sign of uh, the character of this Glastonbury team and what really made them special. Um, but they could handle pressure. I think a lot of people saw them throughout the year and they said, you know, they're getting e- their schedules easier. They haven't faced great teams yet. Well, they went through the FBF teams in the, in the tournament and they and they got the best test on championship day against a team that had knew, knew was not surprised by Glastonbury. There was no secrets here, and, and they responded. So uh, that really struck the me out for Glastonbury. Just their ability to not have these games and then get thrown into one and really handle themselves well. Um, but we're very impressed. You know, I knew Richfield was good. I'd seen him earlier in the year. I obviously don't get to see him a lot during the season, but I'm very impressed with what they brought to the table and how they defended against Glastonbury. Yeah. But, uh, you know, 16 in a row now for Glastonbury. And that's a lot of pressure for the kids. Remember, we forget sometimes these are high school kids. For the pressure, every game they face is pressure with that streak, and they've really handled themselves well. Yeah, no question. And as you said, that you know, that's sort of the in a perfect world, that's kind of the fun of the of the CIC tournaments. You know, you have a team in Glastonbury that's that's dominated, and then they get you know matched up against a team you know the best from another part of the state, and uh, and you know they don't face each other in the regular season. But let's see. Uh, Let's see who's going to come out of it. And they got pushed, but uh, were able to answer. Uh, on to the, the boys' double L final, uh, Farmington against Shelton. Uh, obviously a lot of backstory sort of heading into that one, uh, yeah. unfortunately. But uh, what sort of uh, stood out to you from that match The uh, as Farmington able to, to come away with another championship in boys' double L? Well, let's focus on you know Farmington. 26 hours before the state championship, they find out they have to play a new opponent. I just thought the way they handled themselves, showed why they have won so many titles recently, five in the last, uh, since 2008, 12 total. You know, Coach Steve Waters said, hey, it doesn't change anything. We're still playing on that last Saturday of the year. This this is what we've worked for all season. We wanted to be playing that last game. We're playing the last game. The opponent changed, but we don't change. And the kids had the same reaction. They just wanted to go out and play soccer. They wanted to bring a title back. I think what some people don't remember or realize with this Farming Team team is this group in particular, they played in a final, uh, but they've never won. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of them were on that Barlow team from 2013 that won big in Class L. They moved up 2000, in 2014 in Class L. They lose to Glastonbury in overtime. Some of the kids who were on that team remember that game specifically. They did not get to the final last year. Um, so these kids, Farmington, they were playing in the final, uh, their second final, but they had never won. So there was that pressure to, hey, we got to can't be that senior class that goes out without a title. Right. Uh, and so Farmington stayed focused, stayed on task. Everything you know, everything you can say about what happened with Shelton, what happened with Danbury, uh, that, that, that's a big picture stuff. But but Farmington did what they needed to do. Shelton got in based on the rules. The rules are there. They get in. Uh, if, if we want to reevaluate the rule, then we reevaluate the rule. But in the book, uh, and, and if you follow the letter of the law, Shelton moves in by the letter of the law. That's just how that. Sometimes sports can be cruel like that. This is a bigger, bigger picture question. Yes, but so Glass, uh, Farmington had to face Shelton. They, they were they knew him a little. They had seen him a little during the year, but they didn't get caught up in that. They didn't get caught up in the need to have a team together. They got caught up in playing their game, being defensively strong. And really, what I, that game showed me is that we had a very, very deserving champion this year. Uh, Farmington allowed three goals all year. Uh, they were stingy once again uh, in the championship. That when they got their goals, uh, the two, especially in the span of 28 in the first half, right in about the middle part of the first half, those were textbook soccer goals, and that's kind of how Farmington uh, scores. You know, they 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 withstood a little bit of pressure from Shelton at the beginning, 
then they were able to bounce back, get some set pieces, get some activity, and then bam, they hit you. They hit you with two great through balls. Uh, Blake Ruttenberg scores both of them. Just really textbook plays, especially the first one. Through ball onto the side in the box, hit, hit, hits the ball to the far post, and all of a sudden it's one nothing. Just a very, very uh, poised effort by Farmington. They don't get thrown out of their game. They get, they just stick to their game. And you know, you know, there's a lot of critics always of Farmington of maybe how they play or what they do or just you know everybody likes to you know root against the team that's on top. Mm-hmm. But there's some beauty to the fact that Farmington has done this again, like Glastonbury in girls soccer with the pressure. Uh, they were the team people were talking about at the beginning. They've defended. They've played well. And uh, and they win, you know. That's the simple fact. The most important fa- that in any in any sporting event is the win. And Farmington has a knack for finding a way to win, finding a way to win against their opponents every single game. AP twelve, you know, this team lost uh, not too far ago, about in the middle of October, uh, uh, August. I want to say right after right after Columbus Day, they lost to Eo Smith, and they did not play well. And I was at that game. And they've really regrouped with the right mentality. And Coach Steve Waters, that's made all the difference. This team has had the right mindset. He's told the guys they have to deserve to win. It's not, you know, they have to deserve the right to win. And every game since, Glastonbury has just been, uh, sorry, Farmington, has been very, very thorough. And that's what we saw in the team that knew how to play with the lead, knew how to play with a little bit of experience, and was just confident, not overconfident, just handled themselves well. Uh, and there's something to be said for, you know, the, when you play good soccer and the right team wins and the team that deserves to win, and in this case, it was a clear clear thing, no disrespect to Sean, but Farmington was the team that deserved to win. They just played a very sound soccer team. Yeah, no question. They, uh, they, they certainly, as you said, they just know what know what they're doing out there. It, it was clear. I, I caught the maybe the last twenty minutes of the match, but uh, it certainly showed a, a level of confidence and, and composure and, and sort of understanding of what they wanted to do and uh, and just had things uh, totally under control. Um, looking at looking at both matches and uh, and all four teams, uh, maybe give me a player or two uh, that really jumped out at you. Uh, you know that obviously you're familiar with. Um, the, the rosters of Glastonbury and Farmington pretty well, but uh, maybe you hadn't seen much of Shelton and Ridgefield. Just give me a couple players that really stood out to you with their efforts uh, on Saturday. You know, Joel, the, the player you know that's gotten a lot of spotlight, a lot of limelight for Glastonbury has been Carolyn Boak. She's been the forward everybody's kind of highlighted this season and kind of been wondering if you hadn't seen Glastonbury, how is she getting all these goals, how is she generating all these goals. And you go into a championship game, team that hasn't seen you all year, they're again going to put focus on you. And I thought Richfield uh, did a fantastic job of really limiting space, limiting time for her. Uh, and, and if I was to highlight it, you know, Richfield, I, I really want to just highlight their defense. Mm-hmm. Their back line was just tremendous because they didn't let Carolyn get comfortable, get opportunities that she got. She didn't get off to a great start. Like, Glastonbury had started really strong in the tournament. Uh, as well, and they scored two goals in the first five minutes. That wasn't the case against Ridgefield. Ridgefield just really put the pressure on Glastonbury. They didn't allow Carolyn and the other forwards to get comfortable. But the sign of a good player is you know, they find a way. They find a way to adjust. She adjusted. In that second half, she scored off a header. Glastonbury's first header of the game. Mm-hmm. Then she scores on a great little play outside the box. She's able to create a little bit for her own and just really put a blast of a shot on it. And remember, she's not going to college for soccer. She's going to play basketball in college. Uh, but she, in, this, in that big moment, one of the last times she had a bit laced up her, her cleats, she showed up when Glastonbury needed her to show up. And that was 
to me, one of those big MVP type performances of uh, maybe the player of the game, if you want to say it. So she was patient, she was relaxed, she did not panic. She had when Richfield did that tremendous against her. Uh, she just waited, waited for a moment, and, and Glastonbury did. She scored in that first corner in the second half, and then that other play. And, and the, the special part of the whole thing is, and the reason you can't ignore her, even though we've, we've written about her, we've talked about her, mm-hmm. is the fact that those goals uh, gave her the single-season scoring record for Glastonbury. She now has 34. She broke the record by Karen Welsh, another great player who you know I was lucky enough to see uh, in 2009, just had a tremendous season, helped lead Glastonbury to a state final that year. Uh, she was just a tremendous talent. And Carolyn, somebody who is not uh, soccer exclusive, uh, just kept being the person for Glastonbury, finding a way, breaking through. And, and uh, eventually in games, teams just didn't have the handle on her, and, and it was the same thing in the final. Richfield had done a tremendous job, deserved all the praise, deserved praises now for how they played defensively. But... Uh, Good players find a way, and, and she was the one that kind of really stood out. And again, if I have to go back, I mean, on defense, Dan- Danielle Brinkman, I talked to you about her before. I certainly mm-hmm. put a lot of stuff in the paper. Uh, she's just been one of those special defenders that you'll remember for your time. She's going to seat in Hall. Uh, she's really the catalyst of the team. She settles the team down in the back. She's able to make runs. And the second half of that game against uh, Ridgefield, she made a run that led to that corner. She made a run from her box all the way to the other box, and the Richfield goalie, uh, uh, Julia Millbrook, who also made a tremendous save, fingertip save, diving to the ground, to her right to stop a goal. Glastonbury scores back. If Glastonbury doesn't get that opportunity, Bogue doesn't get that opportunity on the header to make 2 nothing. if Brinkman doesn't make that run. Uh, Brinkman's just been a very, very steady player. I don't think this would have been the same Glastonbury team. A great leader, said all the right things along the way on this journey. Uh, and she's get, reaping the awards now, going to play at uh, Seton Hall. She's going to be in contention for All-American. Um, I mean, one of the best defenders we've seen. Um, just very steady, poised, one of the best defenders for a very strong team uh, in the last year. So that's the two takeaways. You've got uh, both, two seniors there, Bogue and, and uh, Brinkman. And then Renault, who's another player. We, we, like She laughed herself. Like, I don't get much attention. I don't get much attention. From other teams because my defense is so good and mm-hmm. they're the reason I get shut out. But she stepped up at a big game and that's why she's going to Marist and she's going to have a great career at Marist too. Yeah. What about uh, what about side. on the boys' side? Any uh, any players that jumped out from either side uh, for you there? Yeah, yeah. You definitely have to look at the fun of the defense. You'd be remiss if not to credit Blake Ruttenberg scored the two goals. He just went off in this tournament. Uh, he he was tremendous. Now for pushing forward, got uh, they, at the beginning of the season they they didn't know exactly who was going to be the forward for them. and junior Ruttenberg steps up at the end of the year and just been tight and and Shellen, he seemed to be one step ahead of Shellen after he scored that and he, and he was generating a lot of action forward. He came close a couple times, free goals, just missed on one. Um, but I I think you also got to look back at uh, Jordan Sicklick. He was playing with a, a issue uh, issue with his shoulder. He missed time in the Fairfield prep game. He, he didn't know how reliable his shoulder was going to be in the game. He refused to go out. Uh, he was a steady goal there for Farmingdale game. He didn't face a lot of pressure, but in that first couple, first few waves, uh, if you remember, Shelton did put pressure on Farmington. They were the one getting the activity early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a, a direct kick that was came in, uh, and his shoulder was tested, and he handled it well. 
if he doesn't play confident in those first five minutes, maybe the game gets a little bit becomes a little bit different, becomes a little tighter. He was solid. I think Ian Thomas has been a guy who all postseason, especially in the finals, was really, really solid for Farmington. Uh, just on defense, some of them in amongst boys a little bit, just the way he plays, very headstrong, doesn't make mistakes, uh, minimizes risks for his team. Uh, teams don't like to go one-on-one on him, uh, and he was just tremendous. You know, Shelton did lose a player late in the game. He was tremendous. Uh, he, he tried to do everything he could. Uh, to get uh, farming Shelton back into the game, and that Farmington game was Thompson, Ian Thomas, and Ian Thomas, not Thompson, Ian Thomas and his defense. The way he led, Sickler coming out, uh, just being composed, being that presence in the backfield. He, he didn't get a shot, and he gave them a presence early on that I thought was important. Uh, he showed that his shoulder wasn't going to be an issue. He was comfortable. And then what about Blake Rottenberg for a team that didn't know where his offense was going to go for? Go for. Uh, come from at the start of the year with the loss of uh, Evan Hughes, the guy we had been talking about a lot those mm-hmm. previous three years. Uh, Blake Rottenberg really stepped into that role, embraced that role, and uh, he, when his teammates gave him great balls, he, he was there to finish. Wolf at Simmons gave him a great ball. Rottenberg, the sign of a good finisher, is when he gets his moment to capitalize, and that's what Farmington did. They capitalized on their opportunities, and then they went back, hey, we're going to make a beat us. By the way, we've made everybody beat us this year. That's defensively, and Shelton didn't do anything against that defense. No question. So a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff, and uh, you can check out Matt Conyers' uh, stories in the in the Hartford Current and online about those championship games. And uh, as you said, two teams, uh, two really uh, you know traditional powers in uh, in high school soccer in the state of Connecticut that able were able to come away with victories uh, in the Class Double L championships. And Matt, we uh, as always appreciate you chatting with us. We'll uh, I'm sure we'll catch up with you again a little bit later on when we can catch our breath and maybe do some uh, you know some big picture kind of stuff on the uh, the 2016 high school soccer season. But for now, we uh, we greatly appreciate the insight on two great championship games. Thanks. I look forward to it. As you know, I love talking soccer, so it's fun. Thanks a lot, and have a different, great Thanksgiving. You too. Thanks, Matt. That is going to do it for our championship recap. We thank uh, so much Mike Madera, Matt Conyers, Mark Jaffe, Joe Morelli, Alex Niffen, and Pat Ryan all for joining us. And a special shout-out we uh, I discovered after the fact. Pat Ryan uh, took a few minutes out on his birthday to uh, to chat with us. So appreciate that, and happy birthday to Pat. Really enjoyed talking to those gentlemen, and uh, glad we were able to get all these folks on for a little uh, championship recap. Again, I mentioned you can check out some championship highlights from the NFHS Network uh, on CIC sports.com or on YouTube. We tweeted it out as well at CIAC Sports. So if you're really looking to uh, relive some of the championships, uh, check it out there. Also check out, of course, CIACsports.com and Tournament Central for all of the upcoming information about the CIAC football championships that will begin uh, in earnest in the next uh, week or so. So we hope you'll do all that. Thanks, everyone. And again, we'll uh, we hopefully we'll cover all the things that uh, we weren't able to get to this time around. Wasn't able to track down uh, somebody from field hockey and a couple sites in girls' soccer and boys soccer that we weren't able to cover but uh, we will certainly try to do some all-encompassing kind of things in the next few weeks but uh, very grateful for those gentlemen that carved out some time for us so thank you very much for listening everybody have a great Thanksgiving we hope you will be with us again for next time we do it with another edition of the CIAC cast have a great holiday everyone (laughs) 